Welcome to Some of Your Business, where we help aspiring leaders take the next step in their career. And now your host, Tim Flood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode. Really, really happy today to have a good friend of mine and a uh, senior director of enterprise sales, former member of, was I don't know if it was Hell's Angels or the Crips. You'll get into it, Travis. Travis Roberts, thank you so much for joining me. Quite, quite the intro. I don't know if I've ever been <laughs> intro like that. Yes, thank you for having me here today. Uh, like you said, uh, I built my career in sales. I, I uh, give to give you a little bit of my background. You know, I graduated from Washington State University and dove right into a public relations career. So I spent five years doing PR for Microsoft. So it's a great opportunity to do PR for some really, really big things like Xbox. You know, Bing. Well, I guess Bing's not big anymore, but Xbox is still a known name across the across the world. And from there. Went into sales over at Zillow and just built my career there. And I'm happy to dive in any way, which way into that career too. Absolutely. Well, I really appreciate you being here, Travis. And we, we've had a, a chance to talk a little bit on a couple of occasions. And one thing that I want to spend some time talking about today was the notion that you brought up to me about uh, managing managing to the white space. And so sure. sort of as a, as a, as a strategy to, to um, build your leadership chops and sort of be seen as more of a leader. And uh, we had a brief conversation about it, but if you would, you know, tell me what you mean by that first and we can get into a little bit. Yeah, more than happy to. It, it's a philosophy that I believed in for, for quite some time now that imagine it, it works for every level. So whether you're an individual contributor, meaning you, you contribute something to a team, whether you're a leader of others, meaning you manage a group of individual contributors, or whether you're a leader of leaders who manages leaders who manages people that drive to the business or even the business leader. So no matter what level you're at, the same philosophy applies. And that's why I think it's so valuable because if you get a hold of it early in your career as an individual contributor, you keep it with you all along the way. Um, What is also great about it is it's an easy visual. So think about your career in this way. Like you were in a role to do a specific thing. Let's just say you're in sales. Your job is to sell a specific thing. You're in marketing. It's to pump out marketing. X, Y, and Z, whether it's material, collateral events, whatever that may be, that is your lane that you're in. Around you, though, there's white space. And there's white space between you and your peers. Usually you have peers in any organization. That might be an internal partner. That might be someone doing the exact role as you, side by side, but on a different book of business or a different side of that team. So there's peer white space. If you're an individual contributor, there's no white space theoretically below your level if you're on that on the individual contributor rung, but there's white space above you between you and your leader. So, right? So the leader of others, there's white space between you and them. But what I mean by that white space is yeah. there is things that either I as an individual tr- contributor could do or my manager could do. It's got to get done either way, right? Like whatever that task may be needs to get done. So a newer employee is going to require that manager, that leader of others to step down into the white space to do the work to help that new employee figure out how to do it. Maybe it's the first time they've done a new report they've never done before. So that manager is going to have to go there and walk them through it, spend time, do part of it maybe for them. So they're working down into the white space. The end goal, though, is to teach that employee how to do that task so that they work up into the white space which then frees up that manager's time to then work into their white space. And their white space could be other leaders, peer leaders, or 
their leader of leaders above them into the task between them. And why that's so important is just play out an example. Let's say I'm a manager and I have a brand new employee. Let's say now I have to spend four hours a week working on things that they don't know how to do yet, but they have to get done that I have to help with. That's four hours now that I can't do bigger strategic projects that my leader would hand to me if I had those four hours. So my growth is stunted because I'm end up I'm helping somebody else grow, which is, it's great. That's part of leadership is you ebb and flow into these white spaces. But in a dream scenario, you have a team where every employee works up into the white space above them. So then everybody is constantly working on those stretch projects, those, those projects that motivate you, excite you to come to work, that stretch your abilities, kind of make you feel like an imposter because you're doing something fun and different. Like that's the dream scenario to have. And that even works sideways too. Like sometimes as a leader, you might have your peer might have a project that's kind of fun, something different that you're not as good at. It allows you to work into that. But if you're working down for too long, that's when organizations stall. That's when you get into that boredom phase and why people leave work. Because people work leave work for two reasons, really, right? It's like boredom or burnout is typically the reasons. You've got to keep people in that motivated lane in between. And managing <laughs> to the white space is how you do it. I thought about, I mean, as you, as you went through that example, I was thinking about my own history, right? Like the white space. So, you know, you grew up or you came up through sales, and just getting an order in sometimes is a pain in the neck, right? I, I got an order. Yes. Okay. Now you got to get it in and you got to get it to stick and you got to get the count this month and all that good stuff. And that could be a real pain in the neck. And so I'm thinking back into my experience, was it, was it my manager that did that? And a lot of times it was probably maybe a senior member of the team it was maybe sort of that lateral, somebody yeah. helping the new guy come on with something like that yeah. versus maybe you know, you're managing up, maybe it's more making a presentation or report or something that, um, you know, your, your boss will uh, go shoulder to shoulder or claim credit for, but uh, go higher with it. Yeah. You highlighted a key thing. Like if you had a leader that had a senior member of the team help with that report, that means they've done a really good job of delegating to develop because they can stay in their white space above. They have a peer now working at the white space sideways. And maybe that senior team member wants to be a leader. So you're actually giving them something to work on that you normally would. So they're working theoretically up, but it's helping to the side. Like it, okay. that, that's the dream is everybody on the team has a function to, to make that the whiteboard here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the other thing I think about is, you know, there's been a time or two in my career where I don't know, like sort of, I can't help but sort of go do what's interesting or try and help people over here. Right. And there's been a time or two where I've been told to sort of stay in my lane yeah. and, you know, you're like, okay. I'm, I'm not. And I think, you know, if I'm a manager and I'm looking for folks that are on my team and this is my mindset, right? I want you to grow into the white space, help out your team, help out sort of the next level up. I want to know first that you've got a handle on what is in your lane, right? Like I want you to have that on lockdown. Do, would you agree with that before you start yeah. expanding into the white space, right? You've got, to you've, that. you've got to earn the opportunity to work up into the white space. You've yeah. got to have your lane covered. You've got to have all your fundamentals down. And then you earn that opportunity for growth. Because if you you aren't ready for growth if you're not winning the current lane you're in. Whether again, whether you're in sales and public relations, marketing, engineering, whatever that is, if you don't got your role down, you're definitely not going to lead into it. And I think when you get from so individual contributor, you're like a first time leader. So I've been I've been an individual contributor a higher percentage of my career, and I've been a leader at times. And it's interesting at that first level, you've got white space all around you, right? And sort of 
you just got promoted and they're your buddies that are on your team. And, um, you know, you're used to being their peer. And so, you know, you're kind of looking down like this, but at the same time, you're sitting in on meetings and have motivations and incentives and responsibilities that are coming from on high. Your team isn't privy to and white space up there that you've got to work. So now you've got it everywhere versus, you know, you're coming in, you're earlier on in your career. It's looking beside you, looking up. When you come up, then you've got to worry about everybody, right? And basically sure. lock your lane down and then look for other areas of opportunity. Absolutely. Is, is this something that, you know, is 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 uh, unique to Travis or is this something that is Zillow or is this something that is... Uh, philosophy? Uh, yeah, the, the philosophy, philosophy, right? Or is this something you share um, with people that you work with or work for? Or work, I, I work definitely, I've always been an open book, you know, in some some company cultures, everyone kind of holds their, their cards close to the chest because they want their advantage over their peers for, you know, advancement and whatnot. I've been, I've been share it all. Like if there's a best practice, a tip, put it out there because if the team grows, everybody wins. So it's definitely not a a secret sauce per se to just my leadership style. But to me, again, I I love to paint the picture. I think people learn when they can really easily understand it. And the beauty is you can coach within that metaphor of the white space. You can do performance management with that. You can do like planning for leadership development. You can you can get people bought in more to a team culture when you explain to them that you want them to work up into the white space. It, they feel like it's a privilege that they want to go out and fight to earn. It's just it's a great way to motivate through a very simple visual that you can keep referring back to in one-on-one conversations, team meetings, and, and whatnot. So I like to I like to try and take these concepts and learnings and try and turn them into something tangible, right? And, and something that's popping into my mind, you tell me what you think about it. I have an issue and I need my manager support. I'm not going to overcome this hurdle or get access to this data or manpower or whatever it is without their help. Filling up the white space in that maybe is spelling out what that blocker is so that in the future... I don't need their help and neither does anybody on my team. So maybe it's like redesigning a business process and say, you know what, why do I have to send this to Omaha to get the order entered or whatever the case may be, right? But identify it, offer some solutions, give somebody above you like a menu of options versus them having to use their brain power. They just use their authority to make something happen. And so that's the way to fill the white space is like, okay, I can't avoid coming to you right now. I need your help. Right. They're not they're not listening to me They're You know, I need your title or whatever it is to get something done. But in the future, if you can help me impact this change, then I won't need you to do this for me or for the rest of the team. So Absolutely. I mean, if it's a scalable solution and you're able to take the time to create a scalable thing that will impact multiple people, that's a win every time. If it's not, let's just say it really is something that needs to be looked at an approval process, something. Maybe you raise your hand to your manager and say, I'd love to take this process over. Can you teach me how to be the approver? And that way I can be that person for the team moving forward. So I can get that experience while you can go now focus your time on doing something else for the for the group. So either way, it's a chance for you to raise your hand, work up into this space, stretch your skill set, as well as give your manager ability to stretch theirs. And everybody wins. Yeah, and I mean, you know, in my own personal history, it's like there's been times where I he- I hesitate to go to my boss and say there's any problems because I don't want to. I don't. I just want to. I don't want to accomplish something, you know. And I want to yeah. do what you told me to do and and make you proud and and put a win on the board, right? But at the same time, you've got to call out those blockers. And then you know this the the above and beyond is to come up with a solution or like you said, take ownership and go get it, right? Yeah, um, I mean, you, the world, you know. Companies don't succeed when everybody says yes, when everybody is excited about everything and ever flags the problems. Like, I think it's good to be positively dissatisfied. It's okay to be happy and love what you do, but say, there's still 5% of our org that's broken. 
Like oh, there's still wow. processes that aren't working and like let's killing it if it's only 5%, right? <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, so I've worked at a, a few different, you know, larger organizations now, right? And you get big and you get complex and there's layers and there's bureaucracy and things move a little slower. And one thing that is common, big, small, fortune 100 and all, they've all got challenges and issues and, you know, uh, business processes that are just slow or broken and data challenges and, and uh, you know, hiring challenges, all that good stuff. Um, so if you can identify something where you have a, a point of view and a right to kind of make a suggestion, you know, frame it in the right way, and then, um, you know, you can be perceived as more of a leader. Um, next Absolutely. in line. It's all about being that change champion, right? It's about like we know that things are going to change good, bad, worse, forwards, backwards, sideways. The economy is going to step in and change things. Like it's going to change in so many ways. It's just you have to be able to really navigate that to really be successful wherever you're at. Any any good examples come to mind as you think about someone that that it was like now that was somebody that that um, you know managed to the white space showed themselves something and and you know I I kind of gave them a point in my book. Anything in your experience popped up popped up. Top your head. An example I'd use, I have, I have a current manager uh, that, that, that runs the enterprise team. So I, I'm the senior director overseeing the entire business. And he's the manager that focuses on the day-to-day, the oversight of all of our sales professionals. And he is someone that like, his name's Sean Minty, and he is an exceptional leader in the sense of he understands how to play his role in a really great way. He takes on the bigger projects and he delegates to develop in every way, shape or form. Like everyone on his team has a piece of the team that they own. So somebody owns the integration with marketing internally. Someone owns the Salesforce integration link. Someone owns the Tableau reporting. Somebody owns, and that doesn't mean that like they do all the Tableau work. It means they are the liaison between our team and our Tableau team. And the beauty of that is he's basically took his job, broke it up into 20 pieces. Everybody has one piece. They're all stretching to grow into those areas to get that extra exposure, that extra knowledge. And then he gets to just dabble and touch on them, helps them grow. But the key, the reason why people do it, because on one side, you might look at it, but he just gives away his work. But where it, it flips is he shines a light on them when they do exceptional work in those lanes. So he is the first one to have them send out the update mail of what they figured out with Tableau or the new solution. It's not him sending it, it's them. And so they get seen as that expert across the entire organization. And he just shines brightly in the background because he's not actually in the light. Like he is, he gets that like reflective glow of all his whole team shining so bright that he just <laughs> sits back with his sunglasses on and looks like the best manager in the org because he has just winner after winner after winner on his group because they're all just killing it in, the, in their different lane. That, that I spoke about that in one earlier episode about letting go, you know, going from an individual contributor to leader is empowering others and relying on others. You can't do everything. You've got to have other people do it and and yeah. uh, pick the right people and, and uh, keep them going in the right direction. A lot of people don't make the jump well. <laughs> like they, hey, they, it's they, stop, they, they can't stop thinking like an individual contributor and, and that is their, their undoing is they don't know how to let go. It's it's a different skill set. It really is. I mean, you know, you're you're a salesperson. You're 200 percent of quota for three years in a row. You know that makes you arguably the the most deserving person to be a leader, right? But if you're an a hole and there's someone else who has a higher EQ, right, and and is at 100 percent for two years in a row, right, they may make the better people leader, right? And so you've, you've got to see that. And, and, you know, at the same time, you don't want to lose that guy as a rock star salesperson. Sales may not be the best example. Sometimes the best salespeople well, don't want to 
be leaders anyhow. <laughs> yeah, sales, sales is always a, a different bag, <laughs> but it is true when you when you look at just just like percentage, like like the best individual contributor will never outweigh the impact of a manager that can get the most out of a team. Like that, that's just never going to be the same equation. Like a, a manager that can know how to multiply. Oh, I, I mean, you talk about I would get rid of a top performer every day and twice on Sunday mm-hmm. if I could get a leader that really knows how to motivate. What makes a leader? Followers. There you go. <laughs> there you go. I was at Simon Sinek or Gary Vee. I don't know where I got that from. That's not from me. I'm ripping you gotta off. Care, you got to care about your people. <laughs> there you go. Well, you mentioned something else that was a, a little bit back there. It was about, you know, change, right? So obviously this economic, macroeconomic environment is starting to turn. I won't get into the real estate side of what's turning here. We'll go down. Yeah. A, a we need a lot longer podcast for that. There's another podcast for that, but you know, more agnostic is just change, organizational change, right? And so it's it's a topsy-turvy world that we're in, especially right now, we're starting at sort of at a tipping point uh, in the economy a little bit. You mentioned, you know, you've got some some expertise and some experience in terms of, of change management. What does that look like in your in your day-to-day? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm extremely passionate about change management. I think a, a leader today has to deal with more change than a leader in any time in history. I, I just think that whether that is like, social economic like every pandemic related like they're like the world is just continually flipping a switch to something different and for an organization to change people have to change and what's funny is a lot of times people think those are different different like curves of change what i mean by curves is is an organization typically go when it wants to go from point a to point b basically what the current state is to the future state you have to go through a curve of change and they call it the j curve of change it basically goes from what's expected to what actually happens. And what actually happens is you say, I want to do it. I want to do it. I want it. Here's the plan. Ready? Go. And you start to go and then it dips. Yeah. And then the, the expected result doesn't happen right away. The morale maybe isn't there right away. Like, like your, your, your finish line is still a ways away. And because of that, there's actually a dip. And if you look at it like visually, it's like going and then it drops and then it comes back out the other side. Most organizations though, about 60, 70% of change initiatives fail. They, they don't actually get through them to the other oh. side because they can't handle the dip in the middle, mm. right? They can't handle that like adversity. A great example of this is a company that did it well was Netflix back in the day. Remember they used to like send you DVDs in the mail? Oh, sure. oh, yeah. like, so they're like, okay, yeah, we're gonna go out and create a bunch of original content. Everyone's like, you're idiots. Like, why would why would you make that choice? Why would you, why would you do that? And then they're like, nope, we're going to do it. And so they got blasted, just annihilated for the idea of creating original content, basically cannibalizing their like all the current platforms that were giving them the content. And so they went through that curve, but they made it out the other side and became the largest creator of original content in the world. And they, you can, I mean, the success story has, has been built. And obviously right now they're having a little turbulence like everyone else, but still like that model has proved out. But a lot of other companies didn't make it through the change. Look at Blockbuster, right? You go from 60,000 retail stores, you know, like what is it? 60,000 employees. They have one store left, like one store left in Bend, Oregon, right? So they did not make that jump well. You look at that's an organization, right? That's the J curve. So, but for organizations to change, like I said, people have to change and people are on the same curve, but it was actually found out in a very different way. So Elizabeth Kubler-Ross was a Swiss American psychiatrist and she was studying grief, like around death, right? And watching the emotions like a a person goes through. And when you think of like, just think about grief, like, like, like close your eyes and think about like a time, your mind, you go through a set uh, of basically emotional feelings. First, it's shock. Okay. Shock, then denial. Then there's frustration. You start to go down, right? Frustration turns into depression. 
But after depression, and depression can stretch. Like this is where like grief obviously can go. If, if you don't have your Starbucks latte, they don't have a latte that day at Starbucks, your grief might be four seconds. But you lose somebody close to you, it could be years. It goes into grief, depression, or the depression. Then it goes into experiments. You start to test out the new world. You start to see like what it could look like, what it could feel like. Interesting. Then it's then it's basically like then it's like you're bought in, then it's like the integration side of it. And then it's the decision, right? You, you decide and you integrate it into your normal life. So again, shock. Denial, frustration, depression, experiment, decision, integration. But if you have to put the curve, that Kubler-Ross curve and the J curve right on top of each other, they are identical. Hmm. They are the same curve of change. So what that tells us is for organizations to change, people have to change, but you have to get them through that curve of emotion. And so once you know that, it's actually not that hard to do because it actually is three things. It's three things that allow you to get a person through that curve. It's clarity, motivation, and the ease of the path. I can touch on all three of those, but if you're a little- how, how about getting people on board? I mean, I, you know, I think about, okay, change. Okay, uh, uh, we'll stick with your sales example. It's front of mind here. You know, I'm going to start entering all my stuff into Salesforce. I haven't had to do that before. And that's yeah. a lot of extra work, you know, and now, and I know that's going to lead to a lot of extra scrutiny. So I don't want to change, right? I mean, and uh, I've been hitting my quota. Why do I have to do this, right? And so change management, we're doing this, boom, it's downhill. And so if you, you know, if you have some percentage of your people that just don't want to do it, millennials want to work from home or, you know, whatever it is, right? Yeah. Th- then, you know, it is down to an individual. I mean, you can you can put people in cohorts and, and departments and demographics and things like that, but individually, you got to see how does that change impact somebody and how can you get them on board? And eventually, if it's a big enough change, maybe they don't fit in anymore. You know, I mean, that's that's part of it as well. So so let's just use that example you just said. Okay, let's just say you put everything into Salesforce. So when I I talk about those three things that you have to hit on as a leader to get that person through, it's clarity, motivation, and ease. Let's just break that out for that example. What looks like resistance is often a lack of clarity. So maybe that Salesforce, why are you doing it? If you're a leader and you don't explain the why, like this is why I need it in Salesforce. Because once it is, we can do better outreach campaigns and make it easier for you to make sales. We can now track your pipeline so we can actually understand how to set quotas appropriately to make sure you're doing really, really well and you're rolling your you're paid well. Like giving them all that information right. provides clarity. So that now can get rid of that roadblock. Then when it comes to the motivation piece of it, problem solved. What's usually seen as laziness is obviously a lack of motivation. Like why? Like why would you be excited to make that change? For a salesperson, in your example, it's easy. Like this will make you more money. Let me show you how as your leader. I'm going to walk you through what this will do for you once it's done. So there you now you have clarity and motivation taken care of. But the third one is the one that most people forget. And that's the path. That's the ease that you want to give that person. A lot of times as a sales leader or any leader out there, you say, hey, Tim, I need you to make this change starting tomorrow. Go. Yeah. You haven't created space for them to make the change. Have you created training to, for them to actually understand it? That, that like, for example, like in sales, I do a lot of sales stuff. So what, I don't have time to do that other thing unless you give me time to do it. And that's where a lot of leaders fail. And this happens in our personal life, right? Like, let's say you have a goal that you want to work out more, but you always forget your clothes at home when you when you drive to work. And you're like, oh, I don't have my outfit. You know, I don't have my clothes. I can't go to the gym today. Like, you could create an easier path for yourself if you put your gym bag in your car before every night before you go to bed. And then you never forget your clothes anymore. And that's now your path is easier. You get rid of the junk food in your house so you don't have that 8, 8 p.m. ice cream bowl because there's no junk food. You made your path easier. So whether you're personal side or business side, you have to do clarity, motivation, and the path. If you do all those three, any change you can get to the other side easier. 
How, how did you know about the 8 p.m. ice cream bowl? That's the question. We're, we're, uh, we're, both, we're both dads of a multiple <laughs> kids. You know, I, I dabble. I've dabbled. I've had ice cream before, I'll be honest with you. Um, you know, that's awesome. And I think, um, I mean, what, what are you saying? And what changes are you going through at Zillow? Can you say, are you allowed to, or even if you speak on a high level, right? What is a big company doing to navigate the, the environment we're going through right now? Yeah, I mean, it's tough. You know, Zillow, we have multiple lanes, right? We have the, the buy and sell side that a lot of people are familiar with. We have a rentals platform. That's the one that I'm heavily involved with over the last, you know, five years there. Um, we also have our new construction division. But basically, at the end of the day, our whole goal is to help people find home. And that always is going to ebb and flow of where home is. Like right now, when people are starting to maybe buy a little less, that means more people probably are renting. So that means actually my side of the business, maybe that ebbs to, to helping us and that side of getting more more of those Rachel the renters into amazing apartments or condos or wherever they're renting. So for us, it's just about making sure like no matter where the economy takes the population of the U.S., we create a really simple platform for them to find a home in that current state. So that's the change we're always going through is like, oh, like this side now needs a little bit more focus or that side needs a little bit more focus because of that. Not not going, you know, VR, AR, is that part of the, you know, we've got web, we've got mobile. Um, what about VR, AR for, for Zillow? Can I can I put a headset on and walk through my next home? I mean, I mean we do. We do offer 3D tours on, on, on our rentals platform, on our buy sell side platform. So if you want to see stuff, you're welcome to see stuff. But I, th- I think as a whole, though, Zillow, you know, there's one thing about being always caught up with the current technology of always being like, oh, we have the newest, coolest thing. In reality, we can impact a lot more people of just doing the basics right. Yeah, like, I, know exactly I want to make sure if you want to go rent a place, it has all the correct date details. It has a link to the property website. It has all the pictures you need. It has the right tour involved. It has the right information you need to call to contact it. And then the key is when you reach out, whether you're looking to buy, rent, whatever, someone answers and someone gets you what you need. Like If yeah. we solve that, we help hundreds of millions of people. So it's not about the newest technology. It's about getting the basics right. Absolutely. Uh, saying that a little bit tongue in cheek there. When I think about change management, a lot of times my, my my head goes to technology and I was trying to think where you'd be. But yeah, no, um, you know, virtual real estate. That's the next that's the next thing here. You send me sell me something that's completely worthless. Get me to pay real money for it. That's your next challenge. You wanna, if you want a mansion in the metaverse, <laughs> you, you I got a square foot of land in Ireland. I've got a crater on the moon. I'm everywhere, man. My portfolio is, is uh, intergalactic. Well, well ahead of me on that one. <laughs> You've been with me a little bit. I appreciate that. I mean, any any other advice as you think about, I mean, I try and reach out to, you know, this is intended for sort of aspiring leaders take the next step in their career. So you're looking at somebody, they're interviewing, they want a job at Zillow, or maybe they're there and they want to get promoted. What are you looking for? You know, what 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 are you what do you want to see someone to to join the team and to to ascend the organization? Yeah. I mean, this is advice I give to all my internal folks too. And I always tell them like, you need this advice for your next role at Zillow or your next role outside of Zillow. And it's really simple. Almost every role out there, name, name the company, small, big, large, whatever. The end of the day, the decision of who gets the role, it's very simple. It's your best internal candidate versus your best external candidate. That's mm-hmm. it. It almost always comes down to those two. Like it, it rarely, the only times you're going to get like two external candidates is no one internal even is like worth looking at for that role. But at the end of the day, it's usually the best internal versus the best external. Someone that's like waiting at the ring, waiting the wings, worked into that white space, might be ready for that stretch role or you go out in the externally and try to find someone that maybe already has years of experience in that type of role to bring in. Both of them have pros and cons. So depending if you're the internal or the external, you have to clearly articulate in your interviews why you were the best on both sides, mm-hmm. why you were the best internally 
and why you should be the one in that final like conversation. And the, the most common thing that people forget is why you're also better than that person externally. So you've got to be able to articulate, I'm, let's say I'm the internal candidate. This is why you want me. If you bring in somebody external, they're going to take X amount of time to ramp up. The few ramp things up. that I may be missing, I can ramp up in a shorter window. So externally, it's the same thing. You've got to argue that you can catch up on the business faster than the internal candidate can catch up on the scope of roles and responsibilities. So if you can articulate that really clearly, you win roles. No, it's a great way to think about it. Yeah. And I think you know, hearing you say that, I mean, uh, you know, an internal candidate's going to have an inside track, um, maybe out of the gate, right? 5149 internal for promotions, which I appreciate, right? As the mindset, yeah. right? So you create yeah. a path for people. So maybe the way in is through an individual contributor where there's not an, an internal person moving up into that. You're looking for external and then uh, and then work your way up from there. Yeah, right. absolutely. I mean, and obviously every, every role is going to be slightly different, but sure. I'm prepared. Like if you aren't there to win on both sides of that fence, you're always going to get overlooked. Yeah. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for your time. Um, you know, I really appreciate it. Um, I, I think um, as I'm going through this and making these episodes, you know, what I'm learning is, you know, kind of in my experience, you know, you see the more serious side of folks, especially in leadership and you know, when you get to know people on a personal level and then them on a professional level, you can see that, you know, people do have a, a lighthearted side and a kind side. And that that can you say I'm different on my personal life. <laughs> part of the part of the winning formula, you know, in business, um, it, you know, to ascend as well. And so don't lose sight of that. So, you know, you want to be competent, you want to be, you know, um, you know, accomplished and uh, ambitious, but at the same time, don't lose sight. And it's one of the things that strikes me about you is your level of kindness. Even with your martial arts background here, I've, I've never been put into a, a chokehold. And for that, I'm, I'm grateful. Any last words, Travis? No, on this end, I, pr- I appreciate you having me here. Oh. Always here as a resource for you or anyone else, because at the end of the day, we're all kind of doing this career journey building together. So happy, happy to help any way I can. Yeah, I mean, you, you you bugged me enough to get on the show. I finally relented. I said, all right, fine. You can, you can, wait, you can be a part of this journey with me. No, I appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Travis. Take Absolutely. care. Absolutely. Have a great one.